Well, good evening. It is good to worship the Lord together, amen? This evening, as you know, our children are spending some great time of fellowship and ministry, and while they have that opportunity, we have our opportunity up here to be in God's Word and to to hear from Him. And so this evening, I want to encourage you, if you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 16, and in verse 7, where we left off last week, we're looking at the kingdom of David, and we're at this moment just coming off of the account where David moved the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And we sort of stopped after they, they moved the ark into the, the city. But now we're going to see that during that time, David, he praised the Lord. We know he danced before the Lord, but he also praised the Lord. And David was a songwriter. He was a psalmist. He wrote many, many psalms of praise to the Lord. And this evening, we're going to see that this is a psalm of thanks that David wrote. It actually in- incorporates Psalms 105, or at least a portion of it. Psalm one, uh, excuse me, Psalm ninety-six and Psalm one hundred six, or portions of it, and so this particular psalm is sort of a medley, if you will. He took some of the psalms that he had written and he put them together in a time of praise, a time of praise that was in fact given over to God, praising Him for the opportunity that the people of Israel had to bring the ark into the city of Jerusalem. Let's open in a word of prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this encouragement this evening from your word, an encouragement to praise. And so often we miss out on the joy of the Lord. So often we miss out on all of the blessings that could be ours, the grace of God, because we're too busy either complaining or being negative or not taking the moment to thank you and to praise you to lift you up when we know that even in the midst of what seems to be chaos, you rule and you reign on your throne. We know that in the world that we live in today, many things seem out of control, and yet we know they're not out of control. You're in control of all things. So we now commit to you our hearts and ask that you'd speak to us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So David presents this psalm, this psalm of thanks. We're going to look at it briefly. It's pretty self-explanatory. But David committed this psalm to Asaph and his associates when the ark was brought to Jerusalem. Let's read verse 7. That day, David first committed to Asaph and his associates a psalm of thanks to the Lord. Let me ask you a question before we even get into the psalm. Have you been thanking God? You know, like, (laughs) I'm learning to thank God in everything. Now, what do I mean by that? Let me give you a very practical example. New Jersey is going through a tax assessment right now. So some of you have gotten your new tax bills, right? Why is it your tax bills never seem to go down? Property taxes in New Jersey are ridiculous, right? So we get the bill this week, goes up 28%. So my first reaction was to be upset. And then I said, you know what? I praise God that I can pay the bill. I thank God that he's provided for me that I can deal with the ridiculous nature of property taxes in the state of New Jersey. Sometimes when things happen, it's our natural in, you know, inclination to complain, to get angry. You know, that's <laughs> it's a couple thousand dollars I, I'm not going to have next year. But God knows that. He knows my needs. And I thank God. I can thank God not for the increase in taxes, but thank God for his provision that I might be able to deal with those increases of expenses. Just like when you go to the store and you see the prices of, of food. 
And you think, oh my goodness, Lord, that's like a dollar more than I paid six months ago. But stop and thank God that there's food on the shelf because we've also experienced some of that lately, haven't we? You can look at any situation, any challenge, and you can find that if you're thankful to God, you'll bear up under it. And after all, our Lord God has the cattle on a thousand hills. Do you not know that God can take care of you? So learn to thank God when things like that happen. They may not be good things. They may be difficult things. We may not like the things that are happening in our world and around us. But I promise that if you have an attitude of thanksgiving in your heart, you'll find a reason to thank God anyway, despite those things. So if you have that attitude, then you understand the heart of David, who wrote these songs to thank God. Not everything was perfect in his life, but he thanked God. Let's look at, uh, we'll look at the first couple of verses here. I'll I'll read a a larger portion of it. And as a recap, uh, there are these men that he's put in charge of praise and worship. They're the temple musicians, Haman, Asaph, Ethan, uh, and their sons. They were the temple musicians. So David, being a composer of psalms, gives them the music, gives them the words, and says, this is what I want you to sing. Now remember, he had moved the ark to the city of Jerusalem. He had placed the ark in the tent of meeting, And that would be until Solomon would actually build the temple there. And he followed, they all followed the regulations that David had laid down for the singers and the Levites and the priests. So they're doing everything according to God's will. Now, David calls the Lord's people in this psalm of thanks. He's calling to people to remember all that the Lord has done for them. So I just want you to this evening, as we're going through this section, maybe think of one thing either today or maybe last week, that God has done for you. Just one thing. You should be able to think of many, but this will cultivate a heart of thanksgiving. And believe me, a heart of thanksgiving is what we need in these difficult days. So we read, David calls them. He says, give thanks to the Lord, in verse 8. Call on his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord, Jehovah, rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done, the miracles and the judgments he pronounced. O descendants of Israel, his servant, O sons of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. The word he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac, He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. To you I will give the land of Canaan as a portion, as the portion you will inherit. And when they were but few in number, few indeed, and strangers in it, they wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another, and he allowed no man to oppress them. For their sake he rebuked kings, do not touch my anointed ones, do, not, uh, do my prophets no harm. And so here David is again calling the people to remember all that God had done for them. I hope you do this on a regular basis. I oftentimes will talk to people, they're maybe a little fearful or they're a little concerned or maybe a little depressed or a little anxious. And, uh, you know, doctors will give you all kinds of pills to try to deal with that, but that just masks the difficulty. It doesn't really address it. If you look at the heart of the problem, I would say that most of the time it comes down to a lack of gratitude on our part for all of God's many blessings. See, when you count your blessings, it's hard not to think about how good God has been to you. Has God been good to you? Say amen. Amen. Of course he has. 
You know something? I've been more aware of God's goodness these last two years than maybe at any other point in my life. Because things have been so challenging and so difficult, I've looked to God and been thankful to him, and I'm so grateful for his many blessings. I find myself very often just thanking God. That's what David wants us to remember. That's what he wanted them to remember as well. He's calling Israel to proclaim the Lord's faithfulness to all the peoples of the earth. That is your mission. That is your call. To let the whole earth, all those around you, know how faithful God has been to you. You know, sometimes people don't want to go to church. They don't want to read the Bible. They don't want to hear the gospel. But one thing they, they can't deny is God's faithfulness to you. And you can share that, God's faithfulness to you. So he's telling them, give thanks to the Lord. Testify to all the peoples of the earth. Sing praise to the Lord. Testify to all that he has done for you, for God's people. Glory in his holy name. Rejoice in all he's done for you. And look to the Lord in his strength. Always seek his face. These are just encouragements, very self-explanatory. But are we doing those things? He also calls Israel to remember the Lord's faithfulness to them. Not just the Lord's faithfulness to, the, to all the earth, but to them personally. You know, we can talk about how great God is, but you know, how good is God to you personally? Those are things that are worth remembering. Remember how God had, has supernaturally protected you during these times. He was calling them to remember God supernaturally protected us as God's people, as Israel, from our enemies. He's telling them, remember that. Remember that the Lord, our God, rules and reigns over the whole earth. He's in control. I know it doesn't feel that way sometimes. If you, if you digest too much of the news or social media, you'll come to a different conclusion. But if you read God's word, you'll very quickly figure out God is in control. Amen? He's in control. He also calls Israel to remember the Lord's promises. Now, as it relates to Israel, they were given a great promise, the promise of the promised land, the land of Canaan. That was God's promise to them, his inheritance for them. God has made us promises. God has promised wonderful things for us as well. I can think of one thing. He will never leave us nor forsake us. There are promises that God has made to us. There are promises that we can rely on. And we need to remember that. God has never forgotten his covenant with his people. He didn't forget his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. It's repeated over and over again throughout the scriptures. He always remembered his promise to give them the promised land. And that is an everlasting covenant that God made with Israel. And it's not something that God is ever going to forget. God will never forget you either. Or his many promises he's made to you personally. You can trust God because God is faithful. Amen? And so it's a very encouraging psalm. And one of the other things we learn is that the Lord protected Abraham and his descendants in the land of Canaan when they were just a few people. He watched over them. They went from nation to nation, and yet God has had his hand on them, protecting them, keeping them safe. As they wandered among the wicked Canaanites, he intervened to deliver them from those that tried to oppress or harm them. I think we need to remember there is no greater protection on our lives than the protection of God. There is no greater protection. If you give me a choice, do I want to try to protect myself or do I want God to protect me? I'll take God any day of the week. For those of us who train in self-defense, you know, we do a lot of training to make sure that if we have to protect ourselves, we can. But I got news for you. I can't see everything in every moment. I don't rely primarily on me to protect me. I rely on God to protect me. 
And that's what he's telling them. In the next section here, David calls all the peoples of the earth to worship and praise the Lord. Not just the children of Israel. All those that love God, all those that seek God. Because yes, as a Jew, as a, as a child of God who happens to be among the children of Israel, there are specific promises to that group of people. But if you're not among that group of people, every person on the earth can know and praise God because he is worthy of our praise. Look at verses 23 through 33. He goes on to say, Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared, that is revered, above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy in his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Amen? The Lord reigns. That means God is in control. Pure and simple translates, God is in control. The Lord reigns. Let the sea resound in all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then the trees of the forest will sing. They will sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. Now, that's very poetic language. It's poetry. So trees don't sing. Fields can't be jubilant. That's not the point. It's all of God's creation, anthropomorphized, that is given human characteristics, to make the point that all of creation brings praise and glory to God. Just by existing, it brings praise and glory to God. Now, one of the things we can do, and one of the things David calls us to do in verses 23 and 24, he calls all the peoples of the earth to praise the Lord with singing. Now, you may wonder why when we're in church we sing praise. Uh, it's not just a sing-along. It's just not a feel-good experience. The Bible is replete with examples of the appropriate way to praise God, and that includes singing praise to God. That's why we do this here. That's why for centuries, millennia in fact, people have been praising God in song, and we continue that tradition. He encourages them to sing a new song of praise to the Lord. By the way, a new song of praise is the idea that you're praising God for something he's done in your life. Specifically, some, some new thing or, or something you've experienced, a new song of praise. Praise the Lord and do it daily. Notice, daily proclaim his salvation. Each day, you and I, we should be praising God. Even if it's just praise the Lord for this day. And then he encourages them to declare the glory of the Lord among the nations. You know, when you're having a good day or you're having a bad day, you can praise God. And it's a good thing to let people know how good God is in your life. That's one of the ways you can testify and witness to God's goodness and his grace. He also declares the Lord's greatness to all the peoples of the earth. God is great. He's greater than anything the world can possibly imagine or create in their minds. Any lowercase g God that they may come up with, any idol they may worship, anything they may look to and be obsessed with, pales in comparison to the Almighty God. Because the Lord is great, praiseworthy, and greater than any false god. The Lord is the sovereign creator of the heavens, 
He created it all. And in the Lord's presence are splendor, majesty, strength, and joy. These are the things that David wants us to know. That needs to be our perspective. He also calls all the peoples of the earth to worship the Lord in fear or in reverence. You know, I think we've, over the years, we've lost a degree of this. You know, there's a a time for reverence before the throne of God. I think we can become a little too comfortable in our worship. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I love the fact that we can come before the throne of God with boldness and confidence in our time of need. But there should never be a time where we take that for granted. There should never be a time where we just sort of walk into the presence of the Lord nonchalantly, not thinking about what it cost Jesus on the cross in order for us to have that freedom to come before his throne. The children of Israel understood things had to die in order for them to worship God. Very serious business. Blood had to be shed for them to come before the throne of God. Now, that's still true for us. Christ had to die. His blood had to be shed. But because we're removed by that or from that by a period of time, roughly 2,000 years, we sometimes forget what it cost him to allow us or invite us into his presence. When you think about it that way, you will never approach the throne of grace nonchalantly. You'll never come into a place of worship and think, oh yeah, here we go. There'll always be a reverence in your heart for God. And David wants us to maintain that. Proclaiming the Lord's glory and strength and bringing sacrificial offerings. Now, we don't sacrifice the blood of animals. We don't, we don't do that. But we make our own sacrifices Sacrifices of praise, sacrifice of our lives, surrender of our hearts to God, giving of our time and our resources. And so he encourages them to bow down and tremble before the Lord, not in a way where you're terrified of him, but that you just understand how great God is. All wonderful encouragements. He also declares that the Lord is the righteous judge over all the peoples of the earth. Can I hear an amen? You know, there's not a lot of righteous judges out there. Is it an amazing how justice changes, whether or not you're in a blue state or a red state. How justice seems to change depending on who appointed a particular appellate judge. You know, something that seems right and just to one person isn't right and just to another. But God is a righteous judge. And the day is coming where he'll correct all the wrongs. And I look forward to that. I mean, that's one of the reasons we cry out, Oh, Lord Jesus, come quickly. He's going to judge the earth. Don't we say judge? It means judge righteously. Not destroy, unless that's the righteous judgment that's due. But to judge righteously, I look forward to a day when that's the case. I surely do. You know, he is the sovereign ruler and the creator of the earth. And so when it seems like people get away with stuff, they don't. It's just a matter of time before they answer for their sins, for their unrighteousness, for their wickedness. And he proclaims that, as David does, that the Lord will judge all people fairly, fairly. And wouldn't that be wonderful, to have true justice on this earth? Well, he declares also that all creation will rejoice when he comes to judge the peoples of the earth. You know, there's so much talk today about the environment and the climate and the planet and all that kind of stuff, you know. Like, oh, we have to protect the planet, you know. And I get it. Listen, I am a conservationist. I, I believe that we should not pollute our environment. We should take care of our environment. I, I, I believe in that strongly. I, we were driving down the street today. We got one or two streets away on our way to the highway. In the middle of the road is a McDonald's bag with, like, fries hanging out of it. And, and you know, like, I could see the McDonald's 
wrapper and everything. I thought to myself, well, I guess you couldn't just take it to the garbage. You just throw it out of your window and leave it in the middle of the street. Got me mad. I don't want to abuse the environment. But it's not our job to save the planet either. God is more than capable of maintaining his creation. I'll tell you that right now. But understand something. When the Lord returns to bring righteousness on the earth, that's when the planet will truly be saved. That's when the climate will be as it should be. Hoping it's a little warmer, to be honest. That's when things will be as they should be. Not when a whole bunch of globalists get together and decide, well, we all come together, sing kumbaya, and save the planet, as if that could happen. I'm looking to the Lord for those things. Yes, this planet needs saving. Yes, we're drowning in our own waste. Yes, yes, we're living in a corrupted environment. But wait a minute. Man is the one that created those problems. Man is not the one that can solve them. Only God can solve them, and the people who are trying to solve them don't believe there's a God. If they do, they believe it's the planet itself. So, enough of that. But we do know that all creation will rejoice when the Lord returns. All life in the heavens, and there is life in the heavens. You know, NASA's spending gazillions of dollars trying to find life elsewhere in the universe. and tell you where life exists. There is extraterrestrial life. It's the angelic realm outside of our dimensions in the presence of God in heaven. There's plenty of life that God has created beyond our universe or beyond our our dimensions. But the Bible tells us that that life serves God. So as I look at this, all life in the heavens and the earth and the sea and the fields and the trees of the forest are going to sing for joy because when he comes, as the scripture says, all creation groans, longing for him to come and set things right. And that's the day we're looking forward to. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. All of these things are described as singing before the Lord when he comes to judge the world. Again, set things right. The Lord will judge the world in righteousness and in truth. By the way, there is such a thing as objective truth. The day is coming when he who is the way, the truth, and the life will return. And you can't just make up stories when you're in the presence of the truth. And I'm looking forward to the truth being established when Christ returns. Basically, we just need Jesus to come back. Amen? That's what David's kind of telling us here. So, finally, in this last section of this psalm, in verse 34, David calls the people of Israel to cry out to the Lord. So if you're going through something or you're just having a hard time coping, so many people I talk to, I I pray with a lot of people, you know, who are going through tough times, almost to a person, all of them are suffering from stress. I mean, some people have some legitimate health problems, but most of the people I talk to are stressed. And you have to manage that stress. That's your responsibility. I mean, you need to be able to hand those things over to God. But you need to do some healthy things to manage stress because there's a lot of stress out there. Always was, but especially lately. So crying out to the Lord in the midst of stressful situations, crying out to God, is what puts us in the place of peace, a peace that passes all understanding. And we read in verse 34, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Cry out. Save us, O God, our Savior. It's literally saying, cry out. Ask God to save us. Gather us and deliver us from the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name, that we may glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And then all the people said, amen, and praise the Lord. Can you say amen? Can you say praise the Lord? 
Amen. You feel better already, don't you? Your stress level just went a little, little down just because you put things in perspective. And that's why you're here tonight. That's why we're all here tonight. Because we want to hear from God. So praise the Lord for all that he's done for you. Give thanks to the Lord for his goodness toward you, his everlasting love. These are the things you can thank God for. Even if you've lost your job, even if life is hard and you've been sick and you've had health challenges, you can still praise God for all of these things. You can cry out to the Lord once again to deliver you from your enemies, just like they could. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Praise the Lord, our God. And the people responded, amen, and praise the Lord. Okay, so that wonderful psalm, is like the appetizer, in in a sense. It really is. Uh, It just kind of gets our perspective the way it needs to be to understand why we praise the Lord. Just praise the Lord. You know, know, so many times we try to figure out, well, why do we do this? Well, why do we do that? Well, just do it. Oh, why do I have to eat healthy food? Just eat healthy food. You won't ask me that question again. Oh, why do I need to get good rest and exercise? Just get good rest and exercise. And then you won't ask me that question. You'll answer your own question, right? Praise the Lord. And you won't have to ask the question, why do we praise the Lord? So now David, he is a worshiper. He's a man after God's own heart. And what he does is he assigns priests and Levites to minister before the Ark of the Covenant and the Tabernacle. He sets up a staff of people to do what needs to be done in terms of worshiping God. That's how important it was to him. I'm going to read this section, just verses 32 through 42, uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll look at it a little bit more closely. Hey, actually, before I even read, just a recap. The first part of this chapter, which we covered last week, David had reestablished sacrificial worship at the tent in Jerusalem. At that point, up to that point, I should say, they were sacrificing to the Lord, but they were doing it at the tabernacle, uh, and that was in Gibeon. But now David's moved the ark into Jerusalem, so now they're worshiping God in the city of Jerusalem. That hadn't been happening. But he reestablished that, and he had offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. He had blessed the people of Israel in the name of the Lord Almighty. He had provided food for all the people in the crowd. He even sent them home to rejoice and be with their families. This is what they did after they brought the ark into Jerusalem. And then he had appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord in Jerusalem. He set up a staff, a group of people, to do what needed to be done. They were called to do a couple of things. And I want you to remember this because we're called to do likewise. They were called to pray to the Lord. They were called to give thanks to the Lord. And they were called to praise the Lord. Those are three very important things. And I I think you'll find that when you're overcome with anxiety and stress, it's probably that you are lacking in one, if not all, of these things. You're not praying to the Lord, you're not giving thanks to the Lord, and you're not praising the Lord. So that's a good lesson right there. And he instructed these Levites on how to do this, to regularly praise the Lord before the ark. So he set the whole thing up. And then he assigned, as we'll see in verses 37 through 38, he assigned Asaph and his associates to minister before the ark of the Lord in Jerusalem. It tells us here, David left Asaph and his associates before the ark, of the covenant of the Lord to minister there regularly according to each day's requirements. He also left Obed-Edom and his 68 associates to minister with them. Obed-Edom, son of Jonathan, and also Hosa were gatekeepers. So everyone is in place. He's, he's been meticulous in making sure that everything is just the way it needs to be. Temple musicians that minister there regularly. 
gatekeepers to watch over the house of the Lord, 68 associates. They are definitely properly staffed. Well then, David assigned Zadok the priest and his fellow priests to minister before the tabernacle in Gideon. Excuse me, Gibeon. Remember that the tabernacle in the wilderness at one time had the ark. And then the children of Israel took the ark and they took it and put it out in front of the army and then the Philistines took it into custody. They, they grabbed it. They had it for some period of time. But then it was returned. And then for a long time, it, it wasn't brought to be with the rest of the tabernacle. And then David brought the ark of the covenant into Jerusalem, which we studied. But the rest of the tabernacle, the brazen altar, the tent, all of the articles of furniture, they were not moved into Jerusalem until after the temple was built. So you had two worship centers at this point. You had the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem, and David put a staff there to do the worship there. And then you had still the place of sacrifice, the brazen altar, and all of the articles of furniture from the tabernacle in Gibeon. So they've gone from having, you know, one worship center to two, but that requires two groups of people. So we learn there that he assigned Zadok to, and his fellow priests to minister there. In verse 39, David left Zadok the priest and his fellow priests before the tabernacle of the Lord at the high place in Gibeon to present burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar of burnt offering regularly. That's where the large altar was. Morning and evening in accordance with everything written in the law of the Lord, which he had given Israel. And with them were Haman and Jeduthun and the rest of the chosen and designated by name to give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Haman and Jeduthun were responsible for the sounding of the trumpets and cymbals and for playing of the other instruments for sacred song. The sons of Jeduthun were stationed at the gate. And then we read that then all the people left and each for his own home and David returned to home to bless his family. And that brings us to the end of our study. There are a couple of things I want to mention. Some of you may be confused because there are actually two high priests at this time. Now, that happened for a number of reasons, which we won't get into. But the tabernacle had been at Gibeon for some considerable amount of time. And Zadok of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, he was the high priest at the tabernacle in Gibeon. Then you had Abiathar, of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, two separate lines, who is the high priest of the tent in Jerusalem. So you have two high priests. And this arrangement of two high priests continued until the temple was built by Solomon. Once the temple was, was built, they dispensed with two high priests. But Zadok and his sons were made high priests once the temple was completed. They took over, and these priests presented regular burnt offerings required by the law on the brazen altar. The brazen altar was a huge altar of sacrifice, where they would take the animals and they would consume them on the altar, they would burn them there, and some of the sacrifices would be completely consumed, some would be shared with the priests, and some would be shared with the people. So this was a place of fellowship. And looking at it a little bit more closely, there were also these temple musicians, which we've mentioned, and those who assisted them at the gate. So two worship centers, two, not just one, in Israel at this time. Now, as we close, I want to mention something, sort of follow up on something we mentioned last week. And it has to do with David and his wife, his his first wife, Michal. For we talked about it last week. David desired to return home to bless his household. And I'm going to read for you the parallel account in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 20. 
It says that when David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. And David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. What does that tell you? Things really went badly for David when he came home after bringing the ark to Jerusalem. After all these wonderful things he did, he got into it with his wife. And the relationship was never the same. David desired to return home. He wanted to bless his household. He walks in the door, and things go from great to absolutely terrible in like seconds. Has that ever happened to you? Maybe not at home, but maybe at work. You walk in, you're having a great day, you're singing, you walk in, and then, you know, it just hits the fan. I would not have wanted to have been David at this moment, but remember that David had provided food for all the people in the crowd, sent them home. He goes home, he's all excited. But then his reaction to his wife destroyed his household, at least his relationship with her. David's wife, Michal, criticized him. No one likes to be criticized, especially men, right? We don't like to be criticized. She criticized him for humbly leaping and dancing before the Lord. We talked about that last week. David danced before the Lord when they brought the ark into Jerusalem. She mocked him. She mocked his public devotion. She questioned his motives. Why are you doing that? She kind of said, oh, you're showing off your body to all the girls. Flirting with everybody, you know, accusing him of something that wasn't true. She ridiculed his behavior. She called it vulgar and unbecoming of a king. Now, I want to remind you who Michal was. She's the daughter of Saul. She's a princess. And her brother, Ishbosheth, had returned his sister Michal to David in order to reunite the kingdom. David had been king in Hebron for seven and a half years. The northern kingdom of Israel that was under Saul, and then after his death were separate from Judah in the south, wanted to reunite the kingdom. They wanted David to deliver them from the Philistines. David had one requirement. Because you see, Saul, when he exiled David, took his wife and gave her to another man to insult David, to humiliate David. So what David wanted to do, and this isn't right, he wanted his wife back, not because he really wanted his wife back, but because he wanted to stick it to them. He wanted to humiliate her, and he wanted to humiliate Saul's family, and he wanted to make a point. It was a point of ego and pride. So when he became king over all Israel, sometime before this event, that's what he did. Now, David could not forgive this injustice against him until Michal was returned to him. You can read about it in 1 Samuel 25, but David had showed very little grace toward Michal's current husband, Paltiel. The poor guy's like crying as they drag her away. David had a harem of women. He didn't need another wife. This was a matter of pride. This wasn't a matter of love. It's a matter of pride. 
And behaving this way was really unbecoming a king. However, dancing and leaping before the Lord was an act of humble worship. I imagine this woman had some resentment toward David for how he had treated her husband. I'm sure of it. So when David rebuked Michal and then separated himself from her for the rest of their lives, which is pretty awful, why didn't he just leave her alone? Why didn't he just let her stay with her husband? David didn't always have a good heart towards people, let's face it. And why did he do that? Because he was a very proud man as it related to women. That was kind of a problem for him. You know, he had come home to his credit truly desiring to bless her, but he was highly insulted by her words. And so what did he do? He defended his behavior as appropriate and his motives as sincere, and they were. But notice what he did. He then proceeded to tear down his wife in retaliation for her unfair comments. And by doing that, he really did an awful thing. One of the things he did is he belittled her father, Saul, and her dead brothers. You know, I mean, think about what he said and the way he said it. You know, uh, essentially saying, look, you know, God chose me. It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house. That is, your dad who's dead or your brothers who are dead. Very insulting comment, actually. He belittled them, and he also boasted that the Lord had chosen him and not them to rule over Israel. He had just humbly worshipped the Lord, and now he's a proud fool. You know, the Bible talks about this idea of, you know, fresh water and salt water can't come from the same spring. But so often, not only praise comes from our lips, but very ugly things can come from our lips as well. We have to watch that. We have to make sure that we can praise the Lord all day long, but we have to be kind to people and not retaliate the way that David did. It's hard. It's difficult. But this is the appropriate way to be. One of the things he assured her is that he would continue to publicly humiliate himself before the Lord. You think that was bad? You haven't seen anything. I'm going to be even more undignified than this. He used his service to the Lord as an excuse to be mean, stubborn, and unforgiving. Very important that we are the same people we are when we're praising God at work, at home, on the highway. It's so important. We have to make sure that not only those moments when people are watching, but even in our hearts when no one's watching, but God sees. But it's sad that David could go from this wonderful, humble worshiper to a really mean, vindictive sort of person like that. I know none of you know anything about that, right? None of us have ever experienced that in our lives. Well, that's a great challenging point to end on. May the Lord help us to be the same people we are in his presence and worship throughout our lives. And we all have a long way to go, myself included. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you. You've given us a lot to think about this evening. Help us to be worshipers, but not just worshipers in church, worshipers in life. With our spouses, with our children, with our parents, with our neighbors, with our loved ones. May our lives be those that are lived in worship of you. May our lips speak those things that are glorifying to you. And may harsh words and unkind things not come from our lips. And when we think them, Lord, as David said, put an angel by my lips to guard my lips that I might not say those things that would blaspheme. Lord, help us and 
to put our trust in you all of our days. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.